do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 572. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, um, what did I just write down, sweetie? Getting through. Getting through. Is that what we're going to title today's podcast? Yes. Um, we are recording this um, on November 2nd, mm-hmm. which is the day before the election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of an emotional day. And there's probably another emotional day or two or three or a million ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um and Kathy and I kind of went back and forth on what we want to talk about. And this is where we landed. Um, I want to just share a few things of a book I'm reading called At the Speed of Life. It's a really old book. It was written in the mid-90s, but I'm getting a lot out of it. And I want to focus specifically on breathing, which is a good thing. I love breathing. I do, too. I do, too. I, I just felt like today what I needed today was... Um, to not feel like I had to do things mm-hmm. like I, and I love Todd was telling me for a couple of days, he's like, I really want to talk about these breathing techniques and I'm all for it. It's just, sometimes it's just necessary to get through <laughs> and maybe, and this is the thing is like our audience is probably split or divided into thirds where some people will get a ton out of the breathing and some people just want to get through. Yeah. And for me, um, getting through just means not being hard on myself and doing what I need to do, meaning it's okay if I want to check polls because, you know, a lot of people are like, stay away from it. Just stay away from everything and just go about your day. That's that's hard. Yeah. I mean, for some, that may be the way they do it. And if you do it that way, go for it. But for me, it's like what I kept saying to Todd, I, I, all I've been listening to for the last couple of days are things like podcasts that are not heavy in our light. Like I just listened to Todd, a uh, podcast this morning about Bly Manor, which we just finished last night. Also known as Blythe Danner. <laughs> he keeps calling it that. The Haunting of Bly Manor, which Todd and I were big, like we loved The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it on this show, I believe. And The Haunting of Bly Manor is, it's not a sequel. It's its a completely different story, but it's got some of the same actors and actresses in it. It's kind of like, what they did with American Horror Story, how they continue continue with the haunting of, but it's a different story. And it was really good. And I had read it wasn't supposed to be as good, and I really liked it. Yeah, and I would say the reason I liked it is because I heard that it wasn't anything special. So my expectations w- were lower than normal than like 10 people saying, you got to watch this. Right. And almost without exception, whenever anybody tells me that I'm always disappointed, not because they did anything wrong, but there's some like trick in my brain that says you're about to watch the best thing ever. And when it ends up not being that, then I get disappointed. So have you, has it ever held up? Has someone ever said you have got to watch this and then it totally held up? It's a really good question. Um, Well, like for instance, my friend Wes told me to watch that documentary that we watched last night on Pete Souza. Uh huh. And Wes, he's like, I don't jump and down ever, but he stopped. We were walking together in the park. He He stopped and he started jumping up and down. He's like, You gotta watch this (laughs) because it will um, it'll help you remember what's great about this country. And so we watched it last night. So I went in with really high expectations and they were met. So yeah, my answer so, to your question is yes. So the Pete Souza documentary, everybody, is called... The Way I See the It? The Way I See It. Yeah. And where did we find it? 
it was on Peacock for free. You could buy it. You could rent it anywhere, Amazon okay. Prime. But if you have Peacock, it's free. And it was really good. And my sister and my aunt had told me to watch that, too. So it was kind of on the list. But here's what's weird about this getting through time is it was so – I knew it was positive and I knew it – okay, and by the way, we didn't say what it was. Pete Souza was uh, Barack Obama's photographer. He was also Ronald Reagan's photographer. So he had a lot of behind the scenes of what a presidency should look like. And since he, since um, Trump took office, Pete Souza has been using his photographs from previous administrations to demonstrate why this presidency isn't healthy. Yeah. Let's just say that. And he's become an activist. But it, his this documentary is less about his activism and more about behind the scenes sure. and about how he goes out and speaks and shows pictures and so he can document what's happened what happened in those eight years. And it's really beautiful and wonderful. And just like Wes said, it gives you a really good perspective on human beings yeah. and what they really want. And So hopefully your expectations are not too high with that recommendation and you won't be disappointed in the way I usually am whenever anybody says you got to watch something. And I guess I would say about Bly Manor, which it was... It's called Blythe Danner. Which was kind of fitting my mood a little more. Because what I was going to say about the Pete Souza thing is that I knew it was positive and I'm not quite there. And I don't mean I don't want to be positive. I feel like I'm I'm optimistic, but it's like something that I didn't know if my heart could handle watching it. Well, but, and I, I make up a story that you, it's an emotional week with the election and you're afraid and you didn't want to, if you felt something inspirational that was not in alignment with where you are right now. And that's exactly what, I, that's what this podcast is about is it's not about being negative. And it's not about only watching, even though I did watch a lot of horror movies this week because it was Halloween last week, but it's not that we have to be, it's like, again, you know, you and I always talk about the fringes and there's the op, there's optimistic and then there's pessimistic. And I'm not on either end. I'm somewhere in the middle of like cautiously optimistic or thoughtfully optimistic, or you have to remember you know, that we for the last four years, maybe five years, if you count, you know, leading up to the election in 2015, we've been, we've gone through a lot and we've been harmed in many ways. Like sometimes when I think about, like someone just mentioned something about Christine Blasey Ford the other day and I was like, oh my God, I like forgot about that. And not literally forgot, but it's so in the background of all the other things we've been dealing with that we've been so beat up that we're scared. And this is what people, this is what, when you have been wounded or assaulted or emotionally abused emotionally, like, the, you know, in this way, this is what you end up being like. You're a little more like, I, I, it's too much for me to, I don't want to get my hopes up because it hurts so bad last time. Well, and that would be vulnerability. You get your hopes up. Correct. You are vulnerable. And, you know, some of the, I'm not going to talk a lot about breathing. It's more about feeling my feelings or how I interpreted this book. So, yeah, if you get your hopes up about whatever, your kid's soccer game or the national election, then you're it's it's a vulnerable vulnerable, vulnerable place to be. It is. And the, you know, everybody who knows about Brene Brown's vulnerability research knows that the greatest 
joys come from the willingness to be vulnerable. Like I, a couple weeks ago, had all my doctor's appointments and I always schedule them in October. And it's always like a hard thing to do because it's not fun, right? You don't want to go. I don't want to go get a mammogram. I don't want to go to the gynecologist. <laughs> Who wants to do these things? But you schedule them. And then when they're done and you are, you know, and it's like, okay, you're done for another year. I'm so on a high and I'm so proud of myself for like showing up. Because you went through something. Because I went through something and I put myself through something on purpose for the greater good. Sweetie, right? it's so interesting because you have your story about doctor's appointments and mammograms and I have my story about the 2005 White Sox. Which is? Which is I used to watch all the White Sox games and then JC was born and the Sox would blow a lead in the ninth and I would be really, really pissed and in a bad mood. So at the beginning of 2005, I said to myself, I'm not going to watch this anymore. So I basically just kind of from a distance paid attention to the White Sox. So that happened to be the year that they won the World <laughs> Series. So it fell, it fell, felt empty to me. Oh, because I did not do the work that I've been doing the first 37 years of my life, which is watch the White Sox religiously. So kind of like no, if there's nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's a really strong statement that the White Sox winning the World Series felt empty. I felt like I didn't earn it. I know, but that's really weird because you and I watched a ton of games. In the postseason. I jumped on board once the postseason began, I said, I got to jump on board. They're in the playoffs. But if it was any other year, I would have been not watching all the games, but a lot of them. But I kind of like distanced myself from it. Well, and I think I appreciate your story. I I think that this is where self-compassion comes in with what we're talking about today with getting through is, you know, I understand that you're like, I didn't earn it or, or whatever, even though we went to all the celebrations and we were... We were, I was we in did it. what We did what I like to call fair weather fanning. Okay. But can, is there a place in there? Because this is what I'm offering myself. This okay. is, I'm not trying to talk you out of your feelings. This is what I've been practicing for the last couple of weeks because I've been feeling this heaviness and this kind of emotional numbness about how I have to get through this time. Is that, could it be that you had just had a baby and or I had, I had birthed the baby, but we together were raising a baby and that you have an amount of energy and that your willingness to put the energy more toward the sleep deprivation and me and your family was more important than the wins and losses of the White Sox. Mm -hmm. And so could it just be, is it less that you like gave up on the White Sox and more that you chose your family in that moment? I absolutely did choose my family because I realized I was in a bad mood playing with my daughter at the end of the day because the Sox did a bad job the night before. Right. And I guess that's kind of the, how do we, how do we look at this time? Like, I'll just give an example of, um, I do read articles, you know, I just got my, usually around noon, the Washington Post sends out all their like most read articles and I start reading them. And, and there's a part of me, maybe it's your voice, maybe it's other people who are like, don't do this to yourself. Don't read this. And, and I want to, like, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not like on Twitter all day. I don't even have it on my phone anymore. I don't look at it, but I, I want to know what's going on. And, and I don't, I have to find that place of like, I want to be compassionate enough towards myself to be like, these are things I want to do and also not overwhelm myself. And I want to like right now, the only things that I want to do, Todd, are either read about thing, like the only things that I'm reading are about overcoming things like 
that's why I'm reading and watching so much Nexium stuff mm-hmm. because it's an overcoming. Yeah. Like Keith Raniere from Nexium was um, cult leader, correct? But I was going to say he was um, given a 120 year oh, sentence last week. So it's kind of one of those things where because I've been following Nexium, it's you know he did so much damage and then now he finally is going to prison and it's like okay this I can watch yep. or you know, a horror movie where the people overcome the the monster or the, like, I'm, you know, even Legally Blonde is enjoyable to me because she wins at the end. You know what I mean? Sorry, yeah. giveaway. Um, but I, that's all I want to watch right now is the overcoming, David and Goliath stuff, because mm-hmm. that's how it feels. Yeah. And that to me, like I always put my hand over my heart and it's like, that's what I need right now. I need a little dose of reality, which is articles. And then I need a little dose of things that are very focused on overcoming. So this is going to be an interesting conversation because I agree with everything you just said. And I'm going to like, just inquire something once I, we haven't even opened the show yet to talk about team Zen and some other things, but, um, I'm going to give you the kind of the flip side of that same coin. Um, but first, Team Zen. So we have a Zen talk today at 2.30 p.m. So if you're listening to this in the morning and you want to join us for some pre-election results support, jump in. We'd love to see you. And we have Dr. Alexander Solomon uh, coming on the Zen talk on the 17th of November. So we hope you can do that. First month's free. Go to ZenParentingRadio.com. Great. And then Tribe Men's Group, uh, we have a Men in Recovery Day um, um, virtual meeting on Saturday the 7th. And then we have a workshop next Wednesday um, regarding the missing link of leadership. And that's leadership in your family, in your community, in your work. So hopefully you guys check that out, tribemensgroup.org. So, oh, and I wanted to talk about your Zen moment. Which, which one? Which was fear, which I thought was interesting. So Kathy does these Zen moments. Um, They're called Zen Parenting Moment. Zen Parenting Moment. Moment. And they come um, through email. So you have to subscribe because it's not a blog that you can go to. So you just go to ZenParentingRadio.com and then it'll say at the top, subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. And it just comes to you Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's just kind of like an uplifting, helpful, hopeful, talk about finding hope um, blog about how to see ourselves, our children, the world differently. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed on Wednesday, the title was fear uh-huh. on Friday. The title was afraid. Yes. Is this a coincidence? No, I did that because of Halloween. Oh, uh-huh. I thought you were doing it because of the election. Well, maybe subconsciously, but I, on Wednesday, I wrote about how fear is really there to be helpful to us. Mm-hmm. And if we can see it that way, yeah. fear, if given all the power in our mind and body becomes overwhelming and it can make us sick and it can make us do really dumb things. But if we look at fear as just kind of a part of ourselves, that's trying to keep us alert um, and don't allow it to take over the ship. um, It's very helpful and we can be very grateful. And then the afraid was about how people, when they're afraid, how they end up being somewhat of a bully or focusing on their external, their appearance, yeah. or they focus on 
making sure everybody else knows they're great. Something outside of themselves. Correct, yeah. So the one I want to focus on is the Fear, which okay. was last Wednesday. All right. And she, Kathy always starts it out with a quote, and it's from Rune Lazuli. Who, who the heck is that? I don't know. It's just one of my favorite quotes. I'm not looking to escape my darkness. I'm learning to love myself there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So this is what it says. It, they're 60-second reads, so I'm just going to read it to you. Fear is hypervigilant, and its job is to point out a problem, even if there is no problem. It stays busy by attaching itself to an issue, big or small, and speaks in what-ifs and should-haves. We can give fear a name or visualize it as a barking dog that's way too excited about everything. Or we can see it as a young and scared version of ourselves that feels the need to point, react, and find safety. Identifying fear is important because it doesn't know how to sit idly by. If one thing gets cleared up, it doesn't rest or pat us on the back for resolving an issue. It just jumps to the next concern. To fear is to be human. So our work is to understand and respect it. The best thing we can do is recognize its job and find ways to understand it without always agreeing or playing along. Author Elizabeth Gilbert once said that no matter what she is doing, writing, socializing, or mountain climbing, she always invites fear to go along. She makes sure it has a voice even when she doesn't love its input. She envisions a car with fear riding in the back seat while she drives. She doesn't allow fear to navigate the route, control the temperature, or the radio, but she allows it to have its seat because it's needed, it belongs. Finally, it's a step towards becoming whole, towards aligning and coexisting with our inner selves. Fear wants to keep us safe, but it tends to have the same high-level response regardless of the threat. It's not inherently bad. It just requires some understanding, modulating, and hand-holding, a way to be accepted and calmed rather than shamed or denied. So that is a, a wallop. I thought it was very powerful. And I just wonder if you want to share how you came about writing that or if there's any big takeaways from it. Well, I think I wrote it after I read Elizabeth, Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert's blog. She actually did. She talked about this fear thing a lot um, and about how she deals with fear. And I can't remember if it was in Big Magic or if she did an interview about it or if she just wrote about it because it was several years ago. But I really liked her visual um, of that fear gets to ride in the car Um, But it doesn't get to control the steering wheel or the radio, but that it's necessary because the thing is, you guys, any part of ourselves that's really loud, it's it needs to be heard and it's not going away. And that doesn't mean I don't mean that in a scary way, like Mm -hmm. you'll never get rid of it. It, It's it's that the reason it's really loud is because you're not listening to it. What does it have to say? And then if you do listen to it and you're willing to like acknowledge what it has to say, it will most likely quiet quiet down. Or if you listen to it and it says things like, you're going to fail, we shouldn't do this, this isn't safe, don't do it. And you're like, you know what, I appreciate you, but in this moment, we're actually just fine. So you let it have a voice without it being overpowering of your everyday experience. But even that alone, you're letting it have a voice. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be so... You know, like I said, I think I said in there about it's like a dog. You know, it doesn't have to be so yappy and loud. Mm. You're like, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Like, there's not a lot of things we do where we don't have an experience of what if this goes wrong. And that's just fear doing its job. It's just fear is always kind of like, what's plan A? What's plan B? And we don't need to go through the world trying to figure that out all the time. But that's what it does. Do you know what I mean? I do. It's like asking 
a dog to be a bird or, you know, fear what its job points is. out. Something a, needs to be changed. Correct. Or that's it not necessarily needs to be changed, that something could be a problem. Mm-hmm. It so you, detects threat. It detects threat. That's a good way to say it. So I think I just liked Liz Gilbert's analogy, like, because I, I use it. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to obviously give her credit for it, but that I really do visualize my fear as a part of me rather than the truth about every situation. Yeah, so this will be an interesting conversation because I'll start with the end. There's a part of me right now, whenever anything is uncomfortable, I think human beings, including myself, have a tendency to turn away from it, mm-hmm. right? And and uncomfortable could be a feeling of sadness, it could be a feeling of fear, it could be a fear feeling of anger, we could be turning away from it and pushing it down, right? So I feel like um, the way Liz Gilbert talks about it is like, okay, fear is going to ride along mm-hmm. in the back seat. It's not going to do all any of the controlling. And there's even a part of me that almost wants to like have a conversation with you about this. Like there's a part of me that even wants to, I don't know if this is going to make sense. And, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of breathing in a second, but maybe even let us ride up in the front seat to, to truly look at it. Because what I do is if it's in the back seat, it's more likely to get shoved back in the trunk. And then because I shove it away, it's going to come out sideways some other way. So there's a part of me that like metaphorically wants to inquire whether or not you can fully embrace it as opposed to just giving it a space in the back seat. you know, like deliberately look at it. So let me explain it in terms of this breathing thing. So in this book that I'm reading, it talks about two different types of breathing. One is the fight or flight, which we've talked about on this show a million times. And fight or flight breathing is usually the breathing that goes into your chest, right? It's short, shallow, quick. And the whole idea of fight or flight breathing is to mobilize an organism, like fear, right? Um, and it's, uh, its job is to pick up on physical threats. Now, the problem is most of the time in our, if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you don't have tigers chasing you. And we view as our kid getting an F or our kid talking back to us as a physical threat, but when actually it is just a threat to our ego, right? So first thing is the discernment between a a real threat and a threat to our ego. So I think that there's some power in that. Um, But this is a paragraph from the book. And then I want to have a, I want to hear what your thoughts are. So by tensing the abdominal muscles and freezing the movement of the diaphragm, which is the, the, the fight or flight breathing, the chest breathing, we can cut off some of the unpleasant sensations of feeling that we don't want to feel. The benefit of this coping strategy is that we temporarily avoid the pain of emotions we judge as wrong. The cost, however, is profound in terms of aliveness. We may think we can make something go away by, by cutting off all the feeling and sensation of it, but the strategy is about as effective of a four-year-old child who puts her hand up in front of her eyes and says, you can't see me. In fact, the opposite is true. Splitting off from feeling guarantees that either it will come back stronger or it will fester just below the level of conscious awareness. By learning to breathe with proper use of the diaphragm, a great deal of anxiety and depression can be completely eliminated. And we'll talk about center breathing in a second, but I just wanna know if you have any takeaways regarding the idea of, you know, when we go into this fight or flight breathing, it basically, for me, it doesn't give me a chance to feel what it is that I'm feeling. Well, and you're talking about two different things because you're trying to connect to this to what Liz Gilbert said, and I'm going to use this word that we often make fun of, meta, Mm -hmm. um, to say that you're getting a little too meta about it in that you're saying, 
you know, well, with fear, I want to invite it up to the front seat. It's like it, it or, the whole, or any emotion, but go ahead. But I guess my point is, is that the whole the whole point of that analogy is that fear is welcome. Mm-hmm. It's not about where it's sitting. Yeah. That's getting a little too like deep in the deep. Like the whole point is, is that fear is a part of the equation and that you are not repressing it at all. But if you let fear be close to the controls or controlling, mm-hmm. it will do to you what we know fear can do, which is make you sick, right. make you go into this fight or flight. Like the whole goal, it's not that, and again, you know, your breathing exercise that you were just talking about there, um, I understand what, is it a man or a woman who wrote that book? It's Gay and Katie Hendricks. Okay, so both of them. So I understand what they're saying about if you are breathing, and this gets really into splitting hairs, but if you are breathing to get rid of a feeling, then it's like putting your hands over your eyes and saying you can't see me. If you are breathing to allow that fear to remain, but you to stay in control of the steering wheel, that's a whole different experience. So I guess my point is, is that I I actually have another um, Zen parenting moment coming in a week or two about how this is, this exact same thing with fear is true with every feeling is that you being able to be present with without repressing or pushing away is the ability to stay alive without being taken under. It's like the equivalent of being in water and having your feet on the ground. Sometimes it feels like you're treading because it can feel a little overwhelming, but you're but it's not you under the water with the wave over you. It's like a so basically this breathing exercise and I think I kind of want you to explain to me yeah. like are they are they offering the breathing exercise as help or are they saying this breathing exercise will actually repress? So what they're saying is then the, the chest breathing, the fight or flight breathing happens at an unconscious level. Correct. So it's not like you're you're creating an intention to pay attention to your breath. It's just what happens when we get reactive. Correct. Sadness, anger, fear, whatever. And it comes from the chest and not and, from and, the and, diaphragm. And, yes. Mm-hmm. So what they're saying is in order to fully embrace Brace, for lack of a better term, the, the emotion, you want to breathe in such a way to do exactly what you're saying is to be present with it. Mm-hmm. And the way that we become present with it or the way that we can put ourselves in the best position to fully embrace what it is that's going on inside of our body is to breathe into our belly. Correct. You know, you probably talk, you're a yoga teacher. It's breathing into your belly, right? So you can put your, so if you're listening right now, just notice if you're breathing into your belly. And what I mean by that is a way to find out if you're breathing into your belly is if your belly expands when you inhale. Because when you're fight or flight, your 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 stomach muscles contract and gets get small. So your stomach um, gets hard and all the air goes up towards your chest. Whereas it's just mindful breathing. That's really all we're talking about. And and in order to put yourself in a position to feel whatever emotion, could be joy. It doesn't have to be one of these other emotions. It could be joy. The best likelihood to really let this feeling come through you is to have this mindful breathing pattern. So this is nothing new. The reason I think it's so great is for me, I've told this story about myself over and over that I'm not really that good at it. And I've been trying to pay attention that when I feel some emotions bubble up, what I usually do is I talk. 
So whether I'm talking to you or talking to my daughters or talking to a buddy and I see, I feel like some sadness coming up, I'll start talking. So lately what I've been doing is putting my hand in my belly and slowly being mindful and breathing into it. And I've actually seen my, there's been some significant changes in what has shown up for me since I've done that. So the only reason- What does that mean? It means I start, I, I feel the tears coming up. I feel a lump in my throat. Certain things happen. One of the best advice I got was from one of the guys in my conscious leadership group. He's like, Todd, when you feel it bubbling up, shut up. Because he saw a pattern inside of me that whenever he thought that something might be cooking underneath, that he noticed that I start talking a lot. So it was just a wonderful um, offering. And I've been playing with that. So, and why do I think this is important to share with our listeners? Whenever any of us are feeling, and, and I, I have a story that this doesn't happen as easily for me as it does for you. you. You're very open to your emotions. You're much more open to them than I am. So you'd be like, well, I don't need to do that. You may not, but for me, it's been really helpful. So I'm just inviting anybody who happens to be listening to pay attention if you're feeling any of these feelings, sadness, fear, joy, creativity, whatever, pay attention to whether or not your belly's going out or not. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, I do. And you know, that in itself is a practice like, um, because a lot of people don't even know that their, um, stomach is supposed to go out when they, when they breathe in, you know, they like, they actually pull in, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it's when you exhale that actually your stomach goes in and that can be really, and, and I'm saying this from experience, like that can be really, um, it can, if you've been breathing, if you've been a chest breather your whole life, then the experience of having true like diaphragm breathing yeah. can feel like, oh, I'm having to train my body how to breathe. And that's okay because even the process of practicing breathing from the diaphragm, you're doing what you need to do. Yeah. You don't have to be like, well, I need to learn this and get this so I can do diaphragm breathing. The practice of learning it, you're doing it. Well, what's interesting probably is when we're born, we're probably experts at breathing into our belly or diaphragm breathing. Well, not probably. You are. That's why babies' bodies go up and down like that. Like that. It just, right. That's what we're and supposed to And then something to do. happens to us, whatever it is, the birth of ego or whatever, and then all of a sudden we start scanning the environment for threats and we forget how to breathe, which is insane because I don't... What do you mean you forget how to breathe? I breathe even when I'm not conscious of it because I breathe when I'm asleep and I breathe when I'm not driving down the street but we forget how to breathe. Well, we block, right? And like in our bodies, we block. And so then we just stay, we don't want to feel or, and again, this is where self-compassion comes in because this is why I was, why this podcast is called Getting Through is this is not about, oh my gosh, can you guys believe that you repress difficult emotions? Can you believe that, you know, what you've been doing? It's because things have happened to us that have been painful and we would prefer not to feel every single feeling we have at every single moment because it can be challenging to get through the day, yeah. getting through again. So this is not about self-criticism or you're doing it wrong. This is about there are other options when you have the ability to notice. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we have to get through a moment and we can't let all of our feelings out. And then later we can talk about it or process about it or feel it through or at least acknowledge it. Because repressing emotion 
we've become experts at it because there were periods of our life we had to, yeah. to stay safe. If it was when we were a child or if it was when we were in an abusive relationship with a partner or at work or whatever, and we learned how to do that. Right. And so what you're describing is the genesis of that, the genesis of that moment when you started having to repress was a gift for you to survive in that moment. Yeah. It was your body helping you survive. Yes, right. And now... This is why, like, this is about taking it, you know, a really good expanded view of yourself. Is that's this is why self criticism and self judgment is so, and I'll, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, stupid. Mm-hmm. Is because everything that you've done has been to survive, and then we're critical of ourselves for then in another moment not doing a completely opposite thing. Right. And the thing is, is why self compassion is so vital and important is we're saying to ourselves. I know this was hard and you did this a different way yesterday, but today let's try it this way. Mm. Or I understand that when you were a kid, this was really helpful, but now that we're in an adult relationship, let's try it this way. It's like a relationship with... Here's something I've been writing a lot about lately, and I don't quite have the grip around it yet, but I just really believe that self-help came out of a little bit more of a navel-gazing kind of self-interest like, aren't I interesting kind of process. Which is an egoic. Exactly. Thing, yeah. Where it's like we need new language for it now because it's it's beyond self-help. It's like self-acceptance and survival and living with peace and, and, you know, talking about new age or spirituality. Those things just don't cover it anymore because a lot of times when I'm talking to people about these things, they're like, yeah, but I don't really care why I do it. And I'm like, but that's – you have to – have an understanding of why you do it to do something different. It's not just to be like laying on a couch with a therapist saying, oh, aren't I interesting? Mm -hmm. That's like stage one of many stages is look at what I do. Now it's how can I breathe differently to help me be more peaceful? For me, like I'm really in a place right now, especially because of where we are with the election being today and everything, it's like, how can I take care of myself today? Right. And and I, I don't mean, you know, I, I know you guys know this by now. I don't mean get a manicure. I mean, like, can I be gentle on myself when I do want to read something? Can I be thoughtful about maybe walking to get a coffee or tea so I can move a little bit and not stay stuck at my computer? Can I, I like I did this morning, I reached out to three of my girlfriends who I know I need to depend on today Mm. and that we'll be texting about things going on because I know we're all on the same page. It's about how do I take care of myself, not in a I'm the only important thing. It's about how do I take care of myself so I can continue to be a mother in this house and a a therapist and show up for other people. And and again, this gets self – this gets repetitious because you're like – well, yeah, Kathy and Todd, you guys have been talking about the same thing for 10 years. But do you see how it, how we can be driven away from it thinking that somehow in this situation, I really don't need to pay attention? Right. Or when in reality, our whole lives is about being self-reflective, but not to be navel-gazing, but to be conscious of our choices so we can be more... Um, grounded people. Well, and I would, the way I would interpret that is, yeah, you have to look inward so that you can have a deeper understanding, awareness of what's going on inside of you and acceptance of yourself so that then you can take action, whatever that action may be. And maybe the action is to sit on the couch and watch 
TV Correct. doesn't necessarily have to mean it's going to a answer. soup kitchen exactly. or something like that. But but first you need to have a curiosity about and and you know like what does that mean curiosity? I was at I did the men's group last Wednesday and we're it was about self compassion. And I brought up the term men's work, which is a term I don't necessarily like, but it's like, what does it mean to like work on yourself? And for me, the most simple example of working on myself is check out when I get reactive and just get curious about it as opposed to react. Like for me, that's the work. And, and the, I think as we get further along the road, like for people who this is like a new idea, like being self-reflective or being self-regulating or being self-aware then using the term men's work makes sense because it's like, ooh, this is interesting and this is work. This takes a lot of energy. And I think as you get down the road, you can be a little more – because I always tell Todd that I kind of feel like any kind of self-awareness work like is cyclical. Yeah. Like we start out and it's like a ton of work and then we love the jargon and then we feel special and then we feel like we have information nobody else does and and then we get – you know. Then we have a wake-up call about how human we are. And then in, it goes in the cycle where you end up right back where you started, but more aware. With a different understanding. But you don't need the jargon anymore. You can just say, I'm just trying to get to know myself. Yeah. I'm. It, this is just self-knowledge instead of like, I'm working on myself. It's just, I recognize myself. Like, we just can start to be a little more, we can be less um, precious about it you know, about this is exactly what it is and more about this knowing myself is a human capacity that we have as like conscious beings mm -hmm. that any other species, maybe besides the whales and the gorillas and I think the elephants, they have like consciousness too, right? Didn't we learn that? Depends who you ask. Yeah. But we have this gift of like awareness where we actually can't, instead of just being like Todd said, dysregulated and then thinking that we have no choice but to be dysregulated, we can actually be like, wow, I'm dysregulated well, and, and then make a choice. And for me, like the curiosity is, so like my curiosity is like, oh, I'm either reactive or I feel some emotion bubbling up. And my coping mechanism was, and still is sometimes talking or distract. Like I know sometimes when there's some intimacy or an intensity in a moment, either with you or with another person, I tend to look away, which maybe is human behavior. I, I do that Like too. it's really intense. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to maintain yeah. eye contact, but like we all have these different types of coping mechanisms for when something's happening inside of us. And I don't know how to deal with the anger, the sadness, the fear, the joy. So I cope. It could be me talking. It could be me looking away. It could be me going to the fridge, getting beer. It could be me vegging out on Netflix. It could be me exercising. It could be me going, uh, checking my email. So my invitation to myself and to anybody listening is, do you even know what your coping mechanisms are? Do you know what your escapes are? And instead of turn away, turn towards it. Yes. And I'm also going to challenge you with coping and escapes being synonymous because they're not. Okay. So let's differentiate that. So coping is like you just said, sometimes when I'm talking to people, I look away. And I don't know if someone has told you that that's a bad thing to do, mm. but it's okay to when I'm being very deep, mm -hmm. I sometimes need to look away to get back into myself, mm -hmm. especially if it's something where I have to think and I'm feeling really vulnerable. Looking looking in someone's eyes is wonderful, and there's and that is fine. That is great. But being like a healthy or enlightened person doesn't mean you hold eye contact. Yeah, that was just one small example. Go right. Ahead. 
my butt is, is that you, you used and probably not purposefully, but you said, do you know what your coping mechanisms are? And then something to the effect of, and why you escape. Mm -hmm. And you can use coping mechanisms and they're not always escapism. Yeah. So we could just say escape. Let's just say for now, for this discussion today on podcast number 572, escapism is unconscious. Correct. Coping is conscious. Correct. Okay. So insert escapism to some of the things that I did and, and I could have some coping mechanism to protect myself as opposed to um, avoiding something. Correct. And this is why, again, we say this all the time, this is why things aren't black and white and things don't live on the fringes, is if someone has told you that looking away during a conversation, that's bad, that's not true. It could be bad in a moment if you're trying to, like if you're giving up or you're like, I refuse to look at you because I'm mad at you. But sometimes that's the way we regroup. So coping mechanisms, depending on how you use them, can be helpful and can also, if used, like you said, unconsciously, can be escaping. So I guess- Yeah, it's I, I just, all personal. Right. I just know because you are in the midst of this program mm -hmm. that people are pointing things out to you mm -hmm. all the time. And you're like, wow, I do this, I do this. And these are all good things. Like I'm not criticizing that. But sometimes then we can start to say to ourselves, I shouldn't be doing that. And it's not, you You can talk sometimes, that can be a helpful thing. Right. But it's a personal experience. So everybody Correct. listening has their own personal Correct. experience. For me, I know that I'm doing it to avoid a feeling that needs to come up. Sure. So that's just me. That's Todd. And it could be, and there could be something that happens tomorrow where I do need to talk because it is important for me to, um, you know, not sit in whatever feeling it is. I just know I'm just picking up on patterns. Right. And I know one of my patterns is that. Correct. And like you said, it's a personal experience because I think what, again, this podcast being about getting through is that watching, um, you know, <sighs> Some could say like, well, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, so I'm going to go listen to music and escape. Going and listening to music could be the best thing yeah, you've ever done. This is language. Exactly. And that what we and why this is important for everybody listening is that don't get caught in, I'm doing it right, I'm doing it wrong, I'm doing something good, I'm doing something bad. Like that's the binary. It is what do I need? Self-awareness is about what do I need now and why? And am I aware of why I want it and need it? And is that okay for me? in this moment, rather than I'm doing a good thing, I'm doing a bad thing. Yeah, and I think the way I would maybe, like if we were going to start this podcast over, I would probably want to go back and say conscious or unconscious versus escapism and coping, because mm -hmm. those those terms have much broader rooms for interpretation, mm -hmm. whereas unconsciousness for me is I'm doing it without any mindfulness. Correct. I'm doing it to avoid something that probably needs to show up. And consciousness is that there's an there's a willingness to learn something about myself. There's an openness about it. Um, there's less ego involved. So, yeah, if I, if we were going to press record again, that's what I would use. And consciousness to me is about making a choice. Yes. Unconsciousness is about being just reactive. Yeah. Consciousness, like I'll give you guys an example because I, I think I've said this before, but it goes with like what I was saying about the things I watch and listen to, like. I love to watch the movie. Uh, I'll just use it. I'll use Spotlight. I yeah. love to watch Spotlight. And Spotlight is not, if you think about the content of the movie Spotlight, it's about um, the Boston Globe breaking the story about priests who are molesting kids. Not such a, you know, a great um, 
<laughs> you wouldn't think that would be an optimistic topic, right? But there's something about watching Spotlight that it's, again, the David and Goliath thing for me. It's really not about the kids. It's about people willing to do the right thing. And I watch it a lot, like maybe once a month or once every two months, and which I know can sound weird, but I'm choosing it. Like, I'm not like, ooh, I need to escape from my world. Well, maybe there's a little bit of that. Like, I want to go do something I enjoy and, and zone out, which I think we all have the right to do. But I choose that purposefully. I'm like, this makes me feel more empowered than say, I, I don't know why people watch so much dystopian stuff. I don't know. And again, and, and for those of you who that makes you feel good, like I'm not trying to say you're doing it wrong. Cause again, this is a personal experience. I should have prefaced that by saying, I don't like dystopian yeah. stuff. I like to see people who rise to a challenge and that I then get motivated by that, even if the topic is something as brutal as spotlight. Um, and, and I guess my point is, is I, there's a choice and then there is a devolving into watching that where mm -hmm. you're just like, Oh, I'm just going to put on something and numb out and not even think about what's going on. That's, that's a difference between numbing out and and again this is we're splitting hairs because i'm sure there's times <laughs> that i have just been sitting there numbing out mm -hmm. like this is i'm not i don't have this down more than other people in terms of that i never numb out that's not true i sure go get a piece of chocolate cake on friday night sometimes and say i'm just going to do this thing where I just enjoy moments and I don't want to focus on the big picture. Right. And what's interesting, you know, I, it's, it's like, um, the way the peaceful warrior, um, there's a scene in there where this man is going through and he has this mentor, Socrates, mm -hmm. is that what he calls him? Socrates. And he's like, he's, he's feeling his, his emotion, his spirituality, his body, like everything's clicking in the right place. And then one night his mentor's like, let's go get drunk. Let's go to get drunk. And yeah. they go to, they go to the bar and they get hammered. And he goes, it's not the action, it's the habit. Mm -hmm. So to your chocolate cake point, it's not about, chocolate cake isn't bad, but if you are filling your body with stuff to the point where it doesn't function well, then that's probably something you need to look at. And this is where we appreciate ourselves as human beings is that there are people, you know, it's kind of like yoga used to be about... Um, the whole process of yoga used to be about rise above your body, be better than your body, be bigger than your body. And the kind of yoga that I love now and the teachers that I tend to follow or the things I tend to read are more about join your body, understand your body. We don't need to rise above being human beings. We just get to be human beings with self-awareness. And that's such a big difference in how we view our experiences rather than being self-depreciating. Like, for example, I, this was a long time ago is actually probably like 12 years ago. Cause it was when I was in teacher training for yoga. But I remember saying to one of my teachers, <laughs> I'm like, I haven't missed a yoga practice in over like a year and a half. And I was kind of saying it like, wow, aren't mm -hmm. I like incredible? Look at me. Look at me. And she said, you know what you should add to your yoga practice? And I was like, what? She goes, miss a few days. Yeah. And her point was, that's part of yoga too, yeah. is have some breaks and some time off and view yourself from a distance. And we tend to, with self-awareness, we get really superstitious where we're like, we're following a certain pattern, just like how baseball players think they need to wear bloody socks or else they won't win a game. I understand superstition in making us feel comfortable, but when it comes to self-awareness, it's not helpful. I feel the need to clarify your example just now. What? About the bloody sock? I don't think there's a superstition about bloody socks. <laughs> Kurt, Someone... Kurt Schilling oh. sock was bloody 
when he was hurt and oh. he pitched through it. Okay. I don't know if there's a superstition about somebody <laughs> like, I got to win today, so I got to put my bloody socks back on. Okay, you're right. You're right. Okay, what I have read is that I was just reading Michael Stray, uh, Strahan? Strahan, who is now like on Good Morning America or yeah, whatever. He's all over the place. He, I just just reading something, I think it was in People Magazine, where he was like, I would look at my socks and have them tell me which foot they wanted to go on. Love it. And that was his superstition. Like, I let the socks tell me. And then other people have said, I only wear one pair of socks during the week. I know we've read this before. Haven't we, Todd? I believe that. I don't remember it, but I absolutely believe that. But they're just not bloody. Yeah, not bloody. So I take Uh, the violent aspect So to bring this full circle, you talked a little bit about Mm self-compassion. And the only other thing that I want to remind people of, and then I want to play one of my favorite clips from Spotlight, because you brought it up. Okay. Um... When you do mess up, can you hold yourself gently? I am somebody that's not really good at that. I have a story that most people aren't very good at that. Would you agree with that? Um, well, it's because we've been taught to be self-flagellating. And yeah. if you are right now teaching your children to be self-flagellating, or if you are hard on them when they make mistakes, you're creating their inner voice. Mm-hmm. So... It's unfortunate that if your way of communicating with your kid is through guilt and shame and they should have known better and why would they do that and who do they think they are, that becomes their inner voice for life. And and that is – and I know as parents it's like shocking. Like, well, that's not my intention. It's none of our intention. What's so interesting? Like I'm just trying to like piece all this together. Like my relationship with myself, my relationship with my kids, and my relationship with anybody else. Mm-hmm. If my buddy comes over and says, I totally screwed up. I screwed this up at work or I handled this poorly with my kid. I'd be like, go easy, man. Mm-hmm. Just go easy. Mm-hmm. But, and, but if, with myself – I can't go as easy on myself as mm-hmm. I am with my buddy. With our kids, and this is this is the our statement, not mine, I, I, I feel like I have a lot of compassion towards my children when they do screw up. But I think there's a lot of parents out there that really think that their kids are an extension of them. Mm-hmm. And if they screw up, then it they- It reflects poorly. Re- yeah. So then I just wonder how much compassion we have for our kids, generally speaking, versus- our neighbor. Well, and you and I have talked about before, sometimes when you're listening to your kid, if you can pretend they're your neighbor's kid, yes. you're going to be more compassionate right. because then the emotional elements. So, so let's stop there. Like, think about that. <laughs> First of all, I totally think you're right. Uh-huh. And why in the world would that be true? Well, because what you said, it could be the egoic part, which is they are an extension of me and I don't want them to do something that makes me look bad because I have all this baggage about who I'm supposed to be from my childhood. And that just like hammers home that I'm not good enough. Yeah. So it's that piece. Or it's that we believe that what what were we taught about parenting? That it's my job to be authoritarian, to be hard on my kid, that they learn through fear, that I have to force them to do things, that they have no internal will of their own, that I'm in charge of them. None of that's true, by the way. Yeah. But if we were taught that, then that's what we impose on our kid. Or the part that we feel so vulnerable when our kids are hurting that we would much rather be angry than sad. Yeah. And because when our kids tell us something that they've done something wrong or they're hurting or they're scared, we would much rather say, what are you afraid of? Why is it easier for us to be angry than sad? Because the emotion carries a different feel in our body. We can get, and again, anger isn't bad, but anger- I feel like anger requires much less vulnerability. 
absolutely. Right. Anger is a power emotion. It's like a rising up. It's like, and this is why anger can be helpful because anger, if used wisely, can be energy to keep going. Mm-hmm. Talk about getting through. Yeah. All you have to do is read about our last four years and you can be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something, right? And anger can help you. When anger fails us is when we use it to jump from sadness or embarrassment or vulnerability, and instead of really feeling what we're feeling, we just decide to be pissed off, which is instead of being, like, let's say, for example, I'll give you an example from the Bears game yesterday. All right. Let's do this. So during the Bears game, there was a player from the other team, which was Drew Brees' team, which was the New Orleans Saints. Very good. Or as my sister used to call them, the banana peels. Right. The banana peels. Why? Because their oh, yeah. their emblem looks a little like, like a, a banana, banana being peel. peeled. So the Saints, one of the Saints players, what they were kind of, you know, crap talking each other, and they he poked his finger through this player's face, face mask. mask. Yeah. So we saw that happen, and that's not good. I don't know if there was a call made on it or not, but it wasn't great. And then literally, like a couple minutes later, like minutes later, like not right away, but like enough time for this this Bears player to think about it, he decided to go back up to this Saints player and hit him across the face and then do it again. Yeah. He hit right, him twice. Right, right in front of the ref. And what happened in that moment? Well, I don't know what happened inside of him. I don't know his experience, his childhood, what he was feeling, what was said on the field. I'm not pretending I know the guy. But I could probably tell you that his emotion when that other player stuck his finger in his face mask and got away with it was embarrassment Mm -hmm. of feeling that that guy had some kind of power over him, of feeling a sense of maybe, and I'm using the word fear lightly. I don't mean afraid like he wanted to run away, but like, oh no, that guy got the best of me, that his masculinity- It's all man box stuff. And so he- because of that feeling, he needs to protect his ego and his image. He he took that and made made it into anger and allowed himself to be violent. Yeah. And we look at that and sure it's a, you know, for people watching TV, it's like, "Whoa, you know, it brings a lot of attention to it." But don't tell me that that's a good idea. Because in real life, that's what domestic abuse is. Yeah. That's what rage, road rage is. That's what a fight in a bar that ends up with someone being shot is. This is not a good example that this man is setting. Unconscious, unconscious, unconscious. Correct. So my point is, is that he was either embarrassed or overwhelmed and then went to anger and then was violent. Yeah. So that's when it can go bad. Yeah. But other times, you know... So our ability to just recognize the feeling we're having in that moment and utilizing it in a different way. Like if he would have taken that anger and used it to run faster or to play harder, that probably would have been more beneficial to the Bears because they ended up losing everybody. In overtime. So pop quiz, you tell me if this is conscious or unconscious anger. An end of this. Now let's take it up to Ben. Let him decide. We'll take it to Ben when I say it's time. It's time, Robbie. It's time. They knew, and they let it happen to kids, okay? It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. We got to nail these scumbags. We got to show people that nobody can get away with this, not a priest or a cardinal or a freaking pope. Conscious or unconscious? That, in that movie, is us allowing to let some air out of the balloon. I think that's completely conscious anger. 
I think that that was a necessary release that everybody needed. And when I hear that quote, obviously I've seen Spotlight so many millions of times and that's Ruffalo doing that. Um, but I just think about the rewatchables yes. because they make fun of that scene. Yes. Um, they think it's, they think it's over And it's the my top. favorite scene in the movie. Me too. Because he is expressing something that we're all Feel. going through yes. for the two hour movie. Correct. And finally there's this like release burst of, energy that Mark Ruffalo's character provides for all of us. So right. it's anyways. the final, it's the anger and, and it ends up, I would say, I would agree with you that it's conscious anger and that he's able to walk away. Yeah. They both are. And he doesn't do, he doesn't go up to Bradley's office, Ben Bradley's office and do anything yeah. like he, he hears his boss, but he needed to release that because it was all personal. Um, but anyway, I know we're closing up shop here. Yes, I think we are. so everybody, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but if it's on election day, um, what's happening there, Toddy? Nothing. I'm just messing with the board. Go okay. ahead. Um, if it's on election day, um, I'm right there with you trying to get through. And if you need to take a walk, go ahead. If you want to watch an old movie, go ahead. If you're just going to work and kind of just really dig in on work today, that's what you need. And and don't let anybody else tell you how to get through. You, you do what you need to do, as long as you're not self-harming, of course. I don't want you to be hurtful to yourself. Um, but just know that you're not alone. Um, reach out to your strong friends and make sure they're okay. As, um, if you guys watched this is us this week, there was a really lovely moment where Malik, who is Deja's, uh, boyfriend actually says to Randall, you know, we're supposed to reach out to our strong friends and, you know, I'm reaching out to you. And then Randall says, uh, you're not my friend. You're dating my daughter. You're not my friend. <laughs> it's a fun moment. It's not, it's not mean, but yes. it just, it was a reminder because it's the truth. Um, anybody, NAMI, you know, National Association of Mental Illness, they always talk about this too. Reach out to your friends today who may be acting like they have it all together. Text them and say, how you doing? You're not alone. We're in this together. Let's do this together. And next time Todd and I talk to you, um, something will be different and who knows what it'll be only hope i can only hope um jeremy craft he's a bald-headed beauty painting and remodeling throughout chicagoland area 630-956-1800 go to avidco.net to learn more and tell them todd and kathy sent you oh and since today is election day if you didn't vote get out there go vote get grab a cup of coffee and go stand in line and get it done get it done adios Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.